Jesus, in a different text than the one we're about to hear, tells a parable of workers in the vineyard. Some of them are hired in the morning for a day's labor, and others don't begin their shift until much later, working fewer hours. At the end of the day, the boss pays them all the same wage. The ones who toiled all day are upset about this, grumbling that it isn't fair that these other guys show up at the last minute and earn just as much pay. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me, the manager asks him, or are you envious because I am generous? The point is the manager isn't shortchanging or ripping off the ones who worked all day. He's just being exceptionally generous with the others. The pharaoh of Egypt, on the other hand, takes a very different approach to management in this text. Rather than generosity, he favors cruelty. He enslaves the Israelites and forces them to do hard labor without pay and without union-mandated breaks. He runs a tight ship, too, and it's only by a small miracle that one of these slaves, the infant Moses, escapes and grows to lead a revolt. It's all rather ironic, really. By punishing the Israelites, the Pharaoh creates the very conditions of their rebellion and his downfall. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, Pharaoh says of the Israelites, or they will increase and join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And yet, because of his cruelty, that is exactly what happens. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. On this Labor Day weekend, we remember that the Pharaoh is not much of a leader, just a boss who likes to lord his power over others, just another manager with a giant ego. The reading today is taken from the book of Exodus. Now, a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built cities, Pithom and Ramses, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians subjected the Israelites to hard servitude and made their lives bitter with hard servitude in mortar and bricks and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, why have you done this and allowed the boys to live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, because, the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. 
So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and became strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. Now a man from the house of Levi went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. No. It was just the worst. Full stop. To plagiarize Dickens just a little further, this is a tale of two grocery stores. I sat in the break room, as I did nearly every night that winter, using my 15-minute break from the cash register to stare out of the large window that overlooked the parking lot, its glass cold and dark. I watched people come and go, hurrying to their cars with shopping carts filled with groceries, the filthy slush of February beneath their boots. I wished, more than anything, that I could go with them, smuggle myself out in some guy's trunk, anything to escape this dreary place. Stop and shop. The large grocery conglomerate where I'd found myself working most days after school had only a handful of songs that played on repeat over the speakers, most of them from soprano saxophone legend Kenny G. I know it's hard to imagine getting tired of listening to smooth jazz for six hours straight, but I assure you, it is possible. His most popular tune, Songbird, would often play while I gaze wistfully out that window, dreading my return to the cash register. I can't underscore the degree to which this was a formative experience for me, one that colored my attitude towards much of what I'm going to say today. It stands out in my memories so vividly that I thought it deserved a low-budget reenactment.
really takes me back. It was a miserable and dehumanizing job. We weren't allowed to sit down or even drink water unless we were on break. My boss never smiled or made small talk and had an almost robotic disposition. She treated me like a machine too, a tool, without thoughts or feelings of my own. Even so, I could tell that she didn't like me. She was always giving me grief for minor infractions, like leaving my shirt untucked or not smiling enough, which was ironic coming from her. After a few months of this, she finally tried to fire me. Unbeknownst to her, though, I had already made arrangements to go back to my old job at Town & Country Market, a little independent grocer that paid a little less but treated me like a human being. I was lucky that they were willing to take me back as the prodigal son that I was. So you see, I told her with no small amount of satisfaction, I guess that means you can't fire me because I quit. I'd always wanted to say that. Friends, I wish you could have seen the look on her face, expressionless as always, but there was a slight twitch at the corner of her lips, a flash of anger in her eyes as she realized that she had just lost all power over me. I said this was a tale of two grocery stores, and of course, Town & Country Market was the other one. I'd worked there since I was 14 years old, and while the work could be unpleasant, they had a butcher shop that I had to keep clean. They always made me feel like I was a valuable part of the team. It was a small staff, maybe 15 people, who generally got on pretty well, and we joked around and we laughed together. There was no dress code, there was no clock to punch, and the assistant manager played football in the parking lot with us when the boss man wasn't around. We all worked hard, but we had plenty of fun too. It was a good place to work. Sadly, as you might expect, town and country went out of business sometime in the early aughts. You might be thinking that they should have run a tighter ship, enforced more rules, and that's why they went under. But of course, they just couldn't compete with the big box stores that had begun to show up in town, places like Stop and Shop. You just don't see many mom and pop grocers anymore, which is a shame because in my experience, at least, they were more inclined to treat people like people instead of property. Now, I want to be careful about conflating poor working conditions with the outright slavery that we find in the book of Exodus. Low wages are still wages, and you can always quit your job, even if it means losing your income and health insurance. That does make it a bit of a false choice, but it's a choice nonetheless. Unless, of course, you happen to work at one particular McDonald's franchise that posted this sign. This is a no-quit restaurant, it proclaims, which ticked off a whole lot of people when it went viral. Now, to be fair, this seems to be the work of a rogue franchisee, not uh, a matter of company policy. And it's obviously not enforceable. Even the sentiment, which was to encourage folks to work out their issues with management instead of just up and leaving, wasn't as bad as the optics but it reignited this ongoing conversation about labor rights and working conditions, which I fear are beginning to feel increasingly Dickensian, especially given the moves to roll back child labor regulations across a dozen states in the last two years. I see a lot of signs from the workplace like this posted online, 
usually warnings about bathroom breaks that are too long or other things that won't be tolerated. I read a lot of stories about employees being screamed at by their boss or being sexually harassed with no recourse or support from HR. People forced to work on their days off or come in when they're sick. One person posted an oddly long and defensive memo from management about how there wouldn't be any Christmas bonuses this year because those are funded by the vending machine in the break room and folks just aren't spending enough money there. Furthermore, it goes on, that same money is used to pay for the summer barbecue and the manager accuses the staff of eating so many hot dogs that the fund was depleted. Cannot make this stuff up. <laughs> the pandemic indelibly changed people's perceptions about the workplace, as we all know, especially retail and healthcare workers. People found themselves being forced to work harder under increasingly dangerous conditions with little or no increase in compensation. White collar workers found that working from home was a completely viable option. And a lot of folks realized that the status quo, the long hours, the low pay, the crummy work-life balance, the hustle culture, the gig economy, it's all just pretty dysfunctional. The inflation that followed made it painfully obvious that the federal minimum wage, $7 an hour, hadn't budged since 2009, while the cost of living had increased 42% in that same time. You put all of this together, and we end up with the tired complaints, no one wants to work anymore. I can imagine the Pharaoh saying that to Moses with the Israelites making a break for the Red Sea in the background. It would make for a good far side comic. And it's a funny sentiment really, assuming that anyone ever really wanted to work grueling, low paying jobs in the first place. I mean, maybe people just don't wanna be exploited anymore. Maybe they just wanna be treated like people instead of company property. Folks want a living wage, reasonable hours, and the option to work from home when it's feasible. They're tired of seeing job listings that require 10 years of experience and a master's degree in exchange for $15 an hour. And friends, this is where we find ourselves on this Labor Day weekend in 2023. A lot of the workforce is burned out and resentful Employers are frustrated and complaining that no one wants to work. Countless families are living paycheck to paycheck. And a lot of folks are just feeling fed up and disillusioned. According to a recent study by the Wall Street Journal, only 21% of Americans were confident their children's generation would have a better life, compared to 64% in 1998. And as a parent, I do feel a little bit like Moses' mother sending her child upstream into the unknown. I want my kids to thrive. I want them to have a better life than I do. But like all of those parents surveyed, I struggle to believe that that will be the case. Many of us, myself included, have been fortunate to do meaningful work for a fair wage. But for many folks, that's just not always the case. Jennifer Klein, a labor historian cited in the study, says that the idea that hard work pays off just isn't as convincing as it used to be because it often doesn't. The payoff of hard work, she says, has been insecurity. A few years ago, Stop and Shop 
brought on a new employee. This is Marty the Robot. My brother, who still buys groceries at the old stop and shop where I used to work, tells me that Marty has a tendency to creep up on folks in unsettling ways, suddenly appearing behind you to report a broken jar of pickles with an eerie electronic voice. On one side of its hulking mass, as you can see, two sinister eyes glow, but on the front, the management glued two eyes to Marty's face. Like they realized it was terrifying, my brother tells me, and they just did a lazy job of covering it up. Automation in the workplace is a real concern, especially with the rise of AI, but Marty isn't actually all that sophisticated. This slow-rolling automaton doesn't do any actual work. He, it, just reports spills and such and bosses the regular employees around. Clean up in aisle nine and such. As you can imagine, the employees of Stop and Shop are not especially thrilled about their new co-worker. Apparently, when Marty first arrived in stores, there were protests in parking lots. Workers were resentful, and 30,000 of them went on strike for 11 days to protest adjustments to union contracts that happened to coincide with the robot's arrival. They were angry. But in the midst of cutbacks for workers, the store spent $35,000 on a completely useless robot, this bit of company property that seemed more highly valued than its human workers. But friends, the real indignity came on Marty's first birthday. You see, the management does nothing to celebrate workers' birthdays, but on Marty's birthday, they threw a party. The union, UFCW Local 150, responded with a video, I'm not going to show it, but a, a video including the names of employees who shared Marty's birthday. It said something about celebrating the human beings who built this company. I tried to give these folks some dignity. Too often, it just seems like management values their property more than their workers. They employ loss prevention specialists to minimize theft and such, but little is done to mitigate turnover or the loss of people. Too often, morale is an afterthought, if it's thought of at all. And as someone who serves as the head of staff here, I have to say, treating folks with respect isn't all that hard, and it pays enormous dividends. The teachings of Jesus, the gospel, do unto others and so on, is not suspended just because there's money to be made. Treating workers with respect isn't just the right thing to do, it's also good business. It seems to me that if Pharaoh had been more generous to the Israelites, paid them a good wage, improved their working conditions, encouraged a healthy balance of work and life, gave them water breaks, like the ones that are no longer mandatory for laborers in Texas, 
thanks to the governor who stripped them of that right in the middle of a heat wave. If Pharaoh had done these things, he wouldn't have been dethroned by a real leader. Moses, who witnessed the cruelty around him and refused to be a part of it, who would later inspire people to demand better, who supplied them with both sustenance and purpose, who would lead them out of exploitation and into the liberation that God wills for us and for everyone. Friends, on this Labor Day week, let us remember that workers everywhere deserve to be treated with dignity, treated better than company property, not worse. If you own a business or people work under you, do right by them. If you're a customer interacting with workers, be patient, be kind. And above all, remember that no one is your property. The only one that we all belong to is God, who sustains us with our daily bread. A very fair wage, indeed. Amen.